Good morning, everybody. It is great to be here. I have just returned from Guatemala, and uh, my daughter's a missionary there, and it was 80 degrees and sunny every single day. I'm trying to be incognito, but my name is Lee Kisman, and I'm the district superintendent of Evangelical Free Church. The whole time I was in Guatemala, I was looking at Facebook, and all my friends seemed to be suffering, so every day saying, really, Lord, more snow? You can't be serious. And really sporting an attitude like John McEnroe, remember him? You cannot be serious. The most polite tennis player ever. Anyway, we're glad to be back for an occasion like this. Um, I'm glad that Easter's delayed. It's as about as late as you can have it this year, and that seems providential to me because uh, it's not looking like Resurrection Sunday yet. But what a blessing to sing with you guys. Christ the Lord is risen today. And to close with that great song, Then Came the Morning, The Roaring Lion. And that's the gospel. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I declare to you that of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He rose according to the Scriptures. Today we have a special occasion, that is the installation of your pastor. But um, we don't install pastors, God does. And truly, from beginning to end, it's the Lord God that makes a ministry, and it's the Lord God that makes a minister. And uh, we are simply screwing this light bulb into his socket in a formal way today. But you have already been shining bright, and uh, we're probably a year tardy. Just so you know, ceremonially, Shane's not done. Soon his um, license certificate from the Evangelical Free Church will arrive in the mail, and we'll present that to him. But we'll just take five minutes for that on a Sunday morning because we are doing this today. And then in three years, when you get your permanent ordination, we will have a grand special service for that because that's a big deal, not just for him and for your church, but for our whole district. And hopefully we can schedule that on a Sunday afternoon and have all of his ministry friends from all the other churches in the Spokane region here for that and the laying on of hands and really recognizing one more time what God has done. So I bring you greetings on behalf of all of those churches today in our district and also from our district chairman, John Contreras, who really wanted to be here, Shane, but um, he is actually on the road today. And uh, my relationship with this church actually began when you became a free church and joined our network about seven years ago, which happened to be about the same time I became superintendent. And I remember well those months and years where we had a lot of meetings in this church thinking about what the future direction of this ministry would be. One person even confessed to me that they wondered if this church would keep the doors open. Now, I was never that pessimistic because I'm a glass half full kind of a guy. But look at today, your glass is at least half full. Looks like you need a second service, actually. My connection with Shane goes way back, and I remember when he first went up to north-central Washington to never pastor again. But it is God that makes the minister, and it's very difficult to outrun the call, my brother. So we all watched how the Lord used you in that ministry in that rural area, which thrives all the more even today in their new building. It's so great to see that up at the Amias Valley Evangelical Free Church near Tanasket, Washington. But God not only makes ministers, He moves them around. And I myself have pastored a couple different churches over the last 30 years, as well as doing this district work. And it's very seldom that a believer stays in one place for a really long time. Um, God has assignments for us for seasons. And we always hope that the minister moves when they hear from God and that it is God-ordained and led by the Holy Spirit and not just a great idea that you or I have. So here you are, my brother. And um, for the sake of time this morning, 
Um, I'm just going to give you half a dozen challenges, which are really pure scripture. And uh, we'll see them on the screen in a minute. But concerning the gospel ministry, um, I have a slide for this, but I just want to say that participation in the gospel ministry is a great and glorious privilege, but also a great responsibility for both the pastor and for the church. And think of what the Lord has given us, you guys. Good news. That shall be for a great joy for all the people. That's what the angels said on that first Christmas to the shepherds watching their flocks by night. And you and I, all of us together, we have the privilege of carrying that message, which is so deep and so profound that a PhD in philosophy or ministry could spend a lifetime pondering the depths of the love of God. But it is also so simple that even the children in children's church right now can wrap their arms around this truth that Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That message is the message that changes everything. And ever since the Son of Man set foot on the shore of Galilee and began to proclaim the gospel and gather disciples with him that he named his apostles, we have had that message in our hearts and in our mouths that changes every life who dares to believe that God is love. And that from the depths of sin, the Lord himself raises us up out of that slimy pit and sets our feet on solid ground and declares by his authority that we are sons and daughters of God, no longer bound for hell, but certainly destined to be in heaven with him forever, to behold his face and to cast our crowns before him, crying out with the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There is nothing greater in all the world, you people. No matter what your occupation, no matter what you do for work 40 hours a week, it pales in comparison to the privilege that we all have of carrying the message of Jesus and his love to every man, woman, and child. It is a privilege, but it is also a responsibility. We need to tell that story well. We need to tell that story as it was truly told in the beginning and not reshape it according to our preference, to not let culture press on it and so distort it that it's beyond recognition for those that knew it first. We have a responsibility not only to keep it in a correct form, but we have a responsibility to share it with others and to share it with our words and our deeds. And those are companion. The gospel can be plenty loud as spoken through any man. But it speaks most loudly. Five. Habits. When our own folkways and norms and mores reflect the truth of what God's word declares. So Shane, you signed up for this a long time ago. And I just want to talk to you a little bit this morning about what it really means to be a pastor indeed. First, let's talk about that word pastor. And then we'll challenge the pastor. We'll challenge the congregation. We'll have all the elders come up and lay hands on you. We'll have a response from Gary, representing the elder board. And then a final response from you. But what this is all about is you being a pastor indeed. And pastor means shepherd. In fact, the word pastor comes from the Latin, and you guys are all students of foreign languages here. Amen? When I was a kid in school, I took French, which has not served me at all. I should have taken Spanish, and now my daughter lives in Guatemala as a missionary, and I go down there, and all the phrases that come to my head still are, comment allez-vous? Bien. But of course. The pastor comes from the Latin, and it's made our word into the English language. It literally means to shepherd or to graze. The metaphor of pastoring or shepherding sheep and shepherds is one of the main metaphors of all of Scripture, but especially in the Old Testament we see it. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, what was their occupation? They were shepherds. They kept flock 
And in some circles, that was a despised occupation. But I think in God's omniscience, you have to say it's no accident that those that he first chose, that family line that he blessed and multiplied, they were shepherds. King David was a shepherd. One of our favorite psalms is the 23rd Psalm, which says, The Lord is my shepherd. In Ezekiel, in his prophecies, when he talked about the restoration of the kingdom of God and the son of David that would come to be king over all, that he would be a good shepherd and not like the evil shepherds of their generation who perverted justice and oppressed the downtrodden. Jesus, you remember, saw the crowds and he saw people as sheep without a shepherd and did refer to himself as the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name. He calls them out to pasture. And the Christian elders in the New Testament, the leaders of the church, were always exhorted to shepherd the flock of God. We see that in Acts 20 and many other places. Peter mentions it in 1 Peter 5. But to be a leader in the church ultimately is to be a pastor. The idea of truly taking care of the flock truly is detailed in the 23rd Psalm. The metaphor there is fleshed out for you, and it's such a strong picture of personal care, of nurturing the people in your care. You know, it's very fashionable these days among some pastors to say, I am not a babysitter, and I don't wipe noses. I make disciples, and I teach the Word of God, and I don't have time for babies. Well, I'm telling you right now as the superintendent of the Northern Mountain District, an evangelical free church, that that is blasphemy. That is heresy. It is our job to take care of people. And what is a baby anyway? We are all babies. We are all sheep that go astray. And you may pose as a real winner and the most mature man in this congregation, but you know, like I know about myself, that I need a shepherd. And so of all the terms that we might use to refer to the leader in the church, to Pastor Shane, we might call you an elder, a minister, a parson, the right reverend, the preacher. The most correct term is pastor. And it is the most beloved term. When the people in the church trust and love their pastor, that's the word they love to use. And I've heard it a thousand times in the circles of Christians I've worked with. He's my pastor. When someone says that, you know exactly what they mean. And it speaks volumes. Don't be ashamed to think of yourself as a pastor. You are an under-shepherd, and Jesus is the great shepherd of our souls. So here's my challenge to you, Pastor, and it's pure scripture. But number one, Pastor, willingly, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. There are a lot of things that can motivate a man to be a pastor. I know some guys that are in the ministry because that's what their family wanted for them ever since they were a little kid. Because dad was a pastor and grandpa was a pastor. Therefore, you need to be a pastor. I know guys that felt warm, fuzzy feelings at summer camp and felt that meant they needed to be a pastor. And they had none of the gifts or the true motivation for it, but because of that day in summer camp, they felt guilty if they didn't become a pastor or missionary. And I've known guys that for 30 years went against the grain of who they truly were. Some guys are in the ministry because they need the money. And maybe once they used to care, but now that they're old and middle-aged, wink, wink. Now, this is a true thing about middle-aged ministers. 
They still kind of care, but they really need the job. And they've never never done anything else with their life. And so to leave the ministry to forfeit their ability to make a decent living. And so they think if I can just hold on until 60 or 65, and if the church doesn't notice too much that I've lost the fire, why? I must stay and be pastor. That's all pathetic. And what we need is what the Lord is looking for, which is a few willing men, <laughs> right? Who had a vision of the kingdom of God and has a real good view of the Savior, and they must preach the gospel. Wouldn't be satisfied being focused on anything less. Pastor willingly, Shane, there will be times when you'll feel like you want to say to your own church, you can just take this job and give it to someone else. But then you're going to go to your prayer closet and come to your right mind. And you're going to say, no. I have the greatest task that could ever be assigned to me. And Lord, I will fulfill your investment in me. Secondly, I challenge you in this, that a pastor must serve as an example. Again, from 1 Peter 5, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. It is not your primary job to tell other people how to walk with Jesus. It's your primary job to walk with Jesus. And hopefully your preaching describes everything that you know and everything that you are. People are not fools, and they recognize when a pastor preaches from the heart. And they also recognize when you preach from a book, someone else's book, and when you preach from hypocrisy. But we are not to lord it over our people or be authoritarian in any way, but we are to be an example to them and say, follow me as I follow Jesus. This is the way to go. This is the greatest way to go. Do as I do. Do as I say. Hopefully those are the same. In Acts 20, I don't have this up for you, but it's a great statement the Apostle Paul made to the elders at the church of Ephesus who he assumed he would never see again in this life. And he said to them, shepherd the flock of God among whom the Lord has made you overseer. I love that phrase, among whom. The pastor is a shepherd of the flock, but he's also part of the flock. He's a member of that family. And you want to lead from the middle, not from 100 yards ahead, not driving him with a stick from behind, nor off to the side and say, forget that old-time religion. Let's go try this stuff. No, you are in the middle of the pack. And with the hand on the shoulder of a guy to your right, and on your left you say, brothers, let's go in the good and godly way together. That's a pastor. You know it when you see it. Third, pastor as a servant, as a servant. Remember at the Last Supper how Jesus not only explained to them the true meaning of the bread and the cup, but remember also, before he did any of that, he took a towel and a basin. And he said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. There's a lot of work to do in the family of God. There's a lot of work to do in a facility like this. And why not be that example and take the lead, not just in doing, but really in serving. And, uh, never riding your high horse. We sometimes say that pastors and bishops and popes are the first among equals. Let you be the lowest among equals. And demonstrate your heart for God and your heart for people by Lowering yourself, and as Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, considering others is more important than yourself. 
and serve with them. Our dear departed District Superintendent Rock Stewart used to love to tell the story, and I'm sure some of you guys have heard it, that he was in a church once and they were having a potluck. And when the potluck was over and everybody had eaten to the full, the church began to do what all churches do after potlucks are over. They take down the chairs and the tables, fold them all up, put them off to the side so they can mop the floor. And so all the men rose up and began to take down tables and chairs except for one. Their commander-in-chief, their minister. And Rock said, why aren't you helping the guys with the chairs and tables? I mean, that would be awesome if you just jump in there, join the guys. He said, that's not my job. I'm the pastor. Well, right there, you know what Rock Stewart did. He gave him a total fail. <laughs> and a tongue lashing, I'm sure the fellow never forgot. And an illustration for all of us to consider. I remember in one of my own churches, um, the guys were a little slow to do that same exact task. But the person that was always faithful and true to make sure everything was taken down and put away and swept up was the one man in the church who was a professed unbeliever. He would say every Sunday, Lee, I'm thinking about everything that you're saying, but I'm not quite there yet. But when it came to service and sacrifice, he was always quite there yet. I marveled. And I thought, how can it be that Christian people fail to do the main things, the first things? We can't. Not so with you, young man, my middle-aged friend. May a spirit of sacrifice mark your ministry if you're going. I've kind of mixed my points, haven't I? If you look at the slides, what slide are we on? Service? The next one is sacrifice. I guess they're so closely related. Pastor sacrificially. Um, I did want to show you this quote from the Apostle Paul in Acts 20. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me and everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we'll let those two stand as they are. Fifth, and I know you take this to heart, Shane, but pastor by the word of God. And I have three different subpoints for this. You would think it would go without saying. I mean, what does a pastor do but come to Sunday morning services and preach the scriptures? Au contraire. Pastors often preach anything but the scriptures. They may even refer to them and put them up on the screen, but some have pastors have a knack of showing you some scriptures and then preaching whatever they want anyway. And they use them as a jumping off point or think they got the gist of it and preach something that can even be in contradiction to what those scriptures actually say. So I want you to pastor by the word of God with authority, knowing that the authority that we have in preaching and teaching doesn't come from our own head or from our own heart. The authority comes from the very word of God, which is inspired by God. It is his word and not ours that we preach. As Paul said in 2 Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The idea of totality permeates this verse. All scripture is inspired by God. It is so complete and so perfect that the man and the minister that avails himself to what is in the scriptures is completely outfitted, totally prepared for every good work. It is good for this doctrine, reproof, and correction, and training in righteousness. But giving yourself to the word shame makes you adequate and equipped. Not just for some things, but what does the text say? For every good work. The scriptures are our total comprehensive encyclopedic guide to what the ministry is and to how it is to be done. 
and what its ends are and what its focus should be. And when you know God's word well, you will minister it correctly. Amen. Secondly, pastor by the word of God with thoroughness. Um, a lot of us are familiar with this, what the Apostle Paul said also to the elders in Acts 20. But Paul reminded them that he did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose, some translations say the whole counsel of God. What that means is that Paul told them every kind of thing that God has to say, not just their favorite verse or their favorite doctrine or their favorite theory. But as a pastor, you yourselves need to be swimming in all the deep waters of all the Word of God and bring to your people over the months and years all the different kinds of things that God has had to say. The delightful portions, the challenging portions, the inscrutable portions, and let us all just be mystified together. The simple portions. Serve up a variety in the menu here so that no one can come to this church and after seven years say, Shane always has the same basic sermon. doesn't matter what the text is. He always gets around to just wagging his finger at it and telling us not to behave poorly and quit smoking and drinking. And wear a dress, please. There are churches like that, and the pastor is a Johnny One note, no matter what the text. But the adequate minister, the conscientious pastor, gets around in the Word of God, and brings all its variety and the necessity of all those portions to his flock. Paul did that. And third, about the Word, pastor this church by the Word of God with accuracy. I've already alluded to this, but I love this 2 Timothy 2.15, which many of you will recognize as the Awana verse. Is it not? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. And uh, the metaphor here is about an approved workman. It's about a journeyman. It's about a skilled craftsman in his trade. We have the employer here, which is God, and the worker, which are the teachers and preachers of the word. We have the material that they work with, which is Scripture. We have their integrity there, which is the very first word. Be diligent. Be that kind of an employee. The kind that shows up and does his duty every day. Shows up early and leaves a little bit late and accomplishes the assignments that his employer is given. And we see the confidence of the workman. He has no need to be ashamed. Boy, when I was a roofing contractor and had a crew of nine guys, college age, this is what I looked for with roofing. When it says handling uh, accurately, the word of truth in the Greek, the word there literally is cutting straight. Cutting straight the word of God. Man, I looked for that with shinglers. Can you, can you cut a straight line? You've been working for me nine months, and you still need to cut a straight line. And they take that hook knife and just go, awesome. That's going to flap over the edge of their roof for the next 20 years. Just what I want to see. With the Word of God, you know, actually, every time we preach or teach, we're presenting just a portion of Scripture. We're not presenting, right, all 66 books. We're presenting a verse, a paragraph. And essentially what you're doing is you're cutting a part out of the whole. But dude, you need to cut it straight so that when you take that little part, it resembles the nature of the whole, right? That you taught it as it truly is in context and considered the words and the clauses and the sentences and the paragraphs and the chapter, right? And all that circumference of context that every scripture has. And when you teach like that, then from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, all the puzzle pieces will fit together very well because you assembled the pieces 
weekly in a way that reflects the truth and the glory of the whole. So that verse is good enough for Awana, but it is imperative for the senior pastor of a church that's about to explode. And if you fail in the scriptures here, you will utterly fail. So, I don't even think you need the challenge because I know your work. But they asked me to come and speak for half an hour, so. What should go without saying is said. Finally, pastor with prayer. It's easy to get so busy in all the tasks that you forget that it is not by might and it is not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. And, uh, we're all aware of great preaching ministries through history. We know about a Moody and we know about a Spurgeon. We know about Christostom in the third century or whatever. But if you look at the story, the rest of the story, and what was going on behind the scenes in all these great churches, it was often people who were gathered anonymously to pray. And I know it by experience that the pastor is the preacher and the minister of every church I've ever served in, let alone this district. I am mightily supported by the prayers of people who know well enough. It certainly marked the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and I just gave those two sample verses, but it just gives you his heart and the importance of prayer. I do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, he said to the Ephesians, and likewise for the Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. A lot of prayer. A lot of people. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed by the great amount of needs that we are aware of as a pastor. All the people that we know, and we often say, thanks for sharing that. I'll be sure to pray for you. The most haunting words I know. I'll be praying for you, bro. When you're a pastor in a metropolitan area like this, you know thousands of people, and you can say that 10,000 times a year. My own personal rule is if I say I'm going to pray for somebody, as soon as I turn away from them, I pray. As soon as I get in my car, I pray. Because I know if I don't pray, when it's on my heart and in my mind, it'll fly away like a little bird and rest on some branch who knows where until next time I see it. Thank you, Pastor, for praying me. I mean, I really know you're a praying man. Haunting We just need to do it, and we say we're going to do it. All right, enough for my poor brother. At traditional installation services, we have you stand up, and we have you recite a vow after me. I, Shane, promise to love you, church, in sickness and in health, right, for better or worse, till death do us our part. And by road, you know, they say, I'll, but I'm not doing that to you, man. I just... I know you know all this stuff already, but I just give you this in totality just as a challenge to your heart. It's something we can all think about every day going forward. The same for the church. I chose one verse for you guys. It's uh, Hebrews 13, 17, and there are many things that you could lay before a congregation on a day like this. But this verse is so awesome, and nobody does it. Nobody does this in 21st century America. primary text reads like this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. And I'm going to show you pertaining to this verse, the what and the why and the how of it. But I'm just telling you right up front, you guys, nobody does this. In America, we go to churches where things are as we like it. And if the music rocks, and if the preacher is sound, and the people are friendly, and for sure if they have coffee, we say, I found my church home. And we go there, and we are willing to learn from the pastor and fellowship with the people. 
but rarely do we have a mindset that we are going there to obey somebody. Most of us intend to obey the Lord. But if your pastors or elders should actually redirect you and say, brother, I really think that you need to be doing this kind of thing instead of that kind of thing. It is a rare man and it is a rare woman who says, thank you for that. You are so right. I will reform myself starting right now because your advice is so awesome. Even if we do that, it's kind of like, this is my prerogative to do or to not do. But I think we are so far away from the spirit of the early church where you had a people who feared God and knew that they needed leadership and were willing to humble themselves just a couple notches for their own soul's sake. So I just want to tear this verse apart just a little bit with you. First, a little bit about the words here. Obey and submit. The word obey in the Greek is patheo, and it is closely related to the word pistuo, which means to have faith or to believe. Christian obedience, then, if you just look at the flavor, the nuance of the word, is not about just being a slave and blindly just following like you're in a cult, whatever the pastors say, without a mind or a heart, you are just commanded to follow, so you do. It's not like that. We follow our leaders because we trust them. We believe them. We know that they are, in their heart, congruent with the heart of God. And over time, we really learn to respect their advice and counsel, and so we obey them. We follow them into truth and into a lifestyle of God because of that. The other word that's interesting is submit, and it just means um, submit. From the Latin, sub, which means under, mit, put yourself there, place yourself under. It's not rocket science, but it's so foreign to our flesh. In Christian obedience, to place yourself under the authority and direction of those in leadership roles of the church. Now, fortunately, in this church, the pastor is not Caesar. You have the whole elder board, and we'll hear from Gary in a minute. But leadership is something that exists actually all up and down the chain in the church. And it's so good for us to do, as a lot of people say, is to kind of have a hand up and a hand back and know that there are people that we need to be under and listen to and learn from. And then people who desperately need for us to do the same for them and be a coach and a mentor and someone they can trust and follow and even obey. But in short, to obey and to submit is to trust and obey from the Greek. Trust, to submit, to put yourself under someone. And uh, I looked it up in four translations, and unfortunately for us all, they all say exactly the same thing. KJV, obey them that have the rule over you. You got the rule. <laughs> and submit yourselves. NIV, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. NASB, obey your leaders and submit to them. ESV, obey your leaders and submit to them. I just can't find any wiggle room for you. Number two, why would we do this? Why would anybody do this? Imagine how revolutionary this could be for a Christian community like yours. Well, it tells us. They're accountable to watch over your souls. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Pastors don't just preach. They watch. Having sheep is not like having a dog, like you don't just put their bowl out in the morning and then go to work and ignore them for 16 hours. you got to stay with them, guard them. There's enemies out there, wolves that will just take them down and devour them. Keeping watch is a biblical theme. Indeed, we are our brother's keeper. I love that little question, right, that came when his brother went missing. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. The pastor 
Ezekiel had a watchtower, and he said, if you're on a watchtower and you see the city in peril, woe to you if you don't cry out. You're not there just to watch and play video games. You're there to watch and warn. And those who are mature in the word of God see things that other people don't see, and they see danger first. And if one of your pastors or leaders or teachers or elders come to you and says, my little sister, you don't realize it, but like your right rear tire is off the road. Can't you hear the rumble strips? You're about to go over the cliff. Oh, no, pastor, I'm good. I know exactly what I'm doing. I have a peace about it. Yeah, I bet you do. The elders are to be on guard for the flock. So accountability is inescapable with God. We're all going to give an account for our lives. In the parable of the talents, we discover that we're all accountable to God for the gifts that we have. And this verse in Hebrews tells us that pastors will give an account for their teaching, for the condition of their flock. How do you feel about that, Shane? Yeah. If you really stop and think about it, it's just downright nerve-wracking. Just to think it as the pastor looking out on your congregation, that's your church family, the people that you love, that the day is going to come when you are going to answer to the Lord Jesus for the welfare of the people that you saw every Sunday. And especially for the one that you never went to find because you were just staying with the 99, enjoying the potluck. And because pastors give an account, I think as a congregation, we need to uh, just realize that's his job. That what he does, he does willingly. But he doesn't just answer to himself and to his own happiness. So therefore, how do we do this as a congregation? I say you do it with a cooperative spirit because it says... Let your pastors do this ministry with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Um, how do you give your pastor grief? Oh, let me count the ways. There are a thousand ways to give your pastor grief. But because your pastor really is charged with being the watcher and the keeper of your souls, um, make his job fun. Make it as easy as you can. Maintain a cheerful, cooperative, positive spirit, even as he's trying to shepherd you. You say, Pastor, maybe I don't know everything about this. Let's look at the Word of God and let him tell me again what I really need to be doing. It's better for you to submit yourself like that. And I know some churches reach a stalemate where the people are just praying and hoping the pastor will quit. And so they just, they, they just endure it for like seven more years until he finally gets a clue and resigns because they're too polite to fire him. That is not the way to be a church. Embrace each other in a cooperative spirit. With humility, with appreciation, and with joy. I'd like to call the leadership of the church, the elders, and uh, Actually, any family members that are here with Shane and Sally today, including you, Sally, all of you to come forward. Hopefully, we don't have an extended family of 45 here. But if you would all come forward, I realize it's been almost a year since you called uh, this couple to be your pastoral couple. But in light of everything that I've shared this morning for the Word of God, what a great thing it is to, again, commend them to the Lord and to commend this congregation. So I'll invite uh, several of you to lead out in prayer as you will, and I will close in prayer both for pastor and congregation. Father, what is left for us to say except uh, praise the Lord? 
great things you have done. You have sent a Savior. You've always been faithful to send out preachers and pastors, even this one. And so we recognize, Lord, Shane and Sally as a gift to this church. And Lord, we pray that for the season that they have this stewardship and this fellowship with his people, that you will guide him with your rod and your staff, and that you will empower him by your spirit and give him the courage to re-speak your word with authority and to care for people with your great loving heart, speaking truth in love. And Lord, I commend this congregation to you. What a great thing it is to the people of God wherever we are gathered and whatever combinations we find ourselves gathered. Lord, this is this church right now in this generation. So I pray that you give them strength to rise up for the young men and women to rise up too and become that next and coming generation who will be responsible to preach the gospel again when we're all gone. What a great day it is, Lord, when we have the privilege to know you and to preach the gospel. And we know that when that day closes and you will descend with trumpet sound, that we'll be all glad that we were in this work together. So, Lord, do your will in our lives through us all. We pray in Jesus' great name and all God's people said, amen. Just give them a hand here. I got, wow, I was asked to uh, to say a little bit about what it means for the elders to have Shane here, and uh, actually with the elders were asked to respond, and uh, Lee being a man of few words, <laughs> uh, so I, I did, you know, I asked what the other elders had, had thinking too, and we all came up with really pretty much the same responses. Uh, we are so grateful for Shane, first for his humility and for his transparency. Uh, I had the privilege of being part of the group, as some of you out here did too, that did the, the searching and the hiring and brought Shane on board. And uh, he told us when we interviewed him that uh, if we hired him, he wasn't going to be here to fix anything. We were just bringing on more problems. Well, that spirit of humility and transparency has been uh, a blessing to try to work with somebody. Um, he has uh, a gift for bringing fun to the the workings of the elder board. I mean, it's as as he does here. I mean, you can see it in the the faces of the congregation. You can see it. I see it in the face of my wife when she comes back from working as a uh, Traitor, she says that she's working with an office full of 13 year olds. <laughs> and uh, then she has to come home and live with another one. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's been a joy. And uh, on top of all those good human characteristics, it's um, pretty apparent that, that the Holy Spirit has brought Shane here and uh, is guiding, and Shane is listening. Uh, he preaches from the scripture. He's uh, very uh, diligent in his uh, reading and research and learning. And uh, emphasis on that. I think that it's uh, it's awfully common to get somebody that feels like they know everything. And uh, with Shane, it's more like, let's learn this together. He knows a whole lot more than he lets on, but his his spirit is to make it a learning process for all of us together. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, he, he drives a Mustang instead of a Harley, but you know, we can't have everything. Shane, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. I think uh, the hardest part about today is that I don't really like it when it's about me. 
and this was a little tough, um, but very, very good. Um, the greatest joy for me in being here is that you guys have accepted me for who I am, flaws and strengths, and it's just been a great, a great privilege. Um, I share with people when I talk about our church that if they can get over my preaching, they'll experience the best part of church, and that's you guys. Um, that's the family that's here. And so it's a privilege for me, and I thank you for the opportunity to be here. So. I'll just close out my portion of the service just by saying that it's uh, been a privilege to watch the Lord's work in you. And there's so many guys in our district. And uh, I think your church realizes as well that uh, we are part of a great brotherhood. And, uh, so comforting to me to know 30 guys just like you slugging it out in all of our local churches across eastern Washington and northern Idaho and Montana. All preaching the same thing. You'll all have a chance to see that greater extended family because you are hosting our district conference May 2 through 4, as you did just a couple of years ago. And I can't believe that you were gracious enough to be willing to do it again because it's a lot of work. But this is a fantastic location, and it's a great time for your congregation and what is happening here. So just from me to you, for you to host this means the world. And, uh, our theme this year is not ministry technique, it's Jesus Christ. The title of our conference is The Majesty of Jesus Christ. And the keynote speakers will speak about Jesus as prophet, priest, king, son of God, lamb of God. And I think that takes us all to a really good place because this is it's not about our glory, it's about him. God bless you all. Do we have a closing song or are we just done? Thank you, Lord, for your kindness. Thank you for the way that you keep us, even while we're trying to keep ourselves in the line and in the faith, Lord, that you are the guardian and shepherd of our soul. And may the good work that you have begun in all of us be seen to completion until the day of Jesus Christ.